Hey, Nelly, welcome to Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. This is take two, y'all. We're being very transparent. I meant to mute myself and hit stop record. So this is take two, but I am excited because I can be vulnerable and have this conversation with Nelly. So Nelly, why don't you tell the people where you're from, what you do, and all that good stuff? Hey, Carrie Ann. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I feel good, a little tired, but I feel great. Looking forward to this chat and the vulnerability that I know is going to come through already. Awesome. All right. So let's tell the audience a little bit more about you, which Caribbean country you represent and what is the work that you do? I represent the beautiful island, the paradise of an island, Grenada. I tell people all the time, you can forget my name. Don't forget where I'm from. I represent Grenada to the fullest. I am a beauty expert, professional makeup artist by trade and I work on a lot of the beautiful Black women that we all know and admire, and I take pride in creating beauty that speaks to the essence of Black women and Black girls because we're still so underrepresented, believe it or not, in the beauty industry. I want to pick up there, but I also want to go back to your story. Um, let's talk about the underrepresentation in the beauty industry that you are seeing, because some of us might know, but at the same time, we see a lot of black models. Everybody is into Fenty beauty and all these other things. So what doesn't the average consumer see when it comes to the beauty industry and black women and representation? Ironically, the beauty industry is driven by the black dollar, right? Uh, the black dollar keeps the industry alive. We are really, really thankful for brands like Fenty Beauty, because when I started doing makeup 10 years ago, we could not source an entire kit with Black-owned beauty brands. And we can do that now. So we've made a ton of progress. But behind the scenes, I think, is where we see a lot of the disparaging still happening. Um, for example, there are beauty brands who we a lot of consumers are assume are Black-owned and they're not, because when you go on their platform, it's Black models, Black influencers, Black verbiage. Uh, they're marketing to Black women, but they're not even Black-owned. So that's one of the things that's happening behind the scenes that we have to correct. And that's why we have to be really, really loud about the representation, because we still have to depend on brands like Fenty and all the other Black-owned brands to fully cover us. Um, as a professional makeup artist, there are still huge brands that are corporations and you go into the store and they talk about inclusivity and the darkest shade looks like two shades darker than myself. And that's not representation because we come in so, so many other varying shades. We have an issue as professional makeup artists with undertones not matching because the, the chemist behind the scenes assumes that every black woman is, has a red undertone. Um, and that's just not true. So it's just a lack of representation. Also, we need we need a lot of Black girls in STEM because we see marketing geared towards Black people, but the labs don't have Black people in it, um, and Black women especially. There's We have a lack of representation there. So across the board, we just need more Black. We need to be loud and proud and Black as ever. What got you started in makeup? What led you to want to be a makeup artist? Um, I don't think I ever wanted to be a makeup artist. Uh, I think we spoke a little bit about my story personally. I migrated to the U.S. 
at the age of 16, fresh out of high school to attend uh, college. I came here with college acceptance and uh, the goal was to pursue law and circumstances happened. Um, I ended up being undocumented for almost 17 years and going through all the, you know, the undocumented stories that we know of and just really unfortunate uh, experiences with family and just being here alone and having to figure it out as a very, very naive little island girl. Um, and so beauty kind of chose me. Um, I had no idea that it would turn into a career. I just needed to feed my daughter, validate my worth for myself and do something because I knew I came here for something bigger, but it, law was not happening. College was not happening at the time. And so I needed to provide for my daughter, but I also am, I like freedom and I like expression. And I, I got to a place where I was tired of being, um, I was tired of being told what I could and could not do and achieve because of that piece of paper. Like that validation from that piece of paper made me feel imprisoned and challenged my self-worth and my self-confidence a whole lot. And I was becoming something that I knew I wasn't. And so I had to fight back and beauty industry helped me fight back. Wow. So you came here on a student visa, I assume. You got accepted to some colleges and let's talk a little bit more about that. What happened when you got here? Tell us a little bit more about that because, you know, everyone's story is different or if, if you're comfortable, mm-hmm. but like, give us a little bit more insight as to what happened that caused you to have that change of plan in terms of your education that led to you know, being undocumented because you came here legally, right? On the student visa, but what happened that caused being undocumented for 17 years? Um, As much as I can share, because it's such a meaty story, it's 17 years of a story, which I'm still unpacking some of it, I feel like. But at the root of it, which is becoming clearer to me, because I came here at the age of 16, and at the root of it, my parents were not together. My parents were not married. My parents had their issues and family issues. And so so there was a lack of communication about me migrating to this country and who was responsible and who was to be accountable and who was supposed to do what, because I was 16. And um, at 16 years old, you're in a foreign country. You're very naive. I didn't even know about green card. I knew about it, but I came here to go to school. My father's doing well for himself. He's documenting. I'm fine. My father filed for me. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I just wanted to go to school. And so what happened was there was a breakdown in family structure that led to me migrating before my time. Um, And if you have been through the immigration process, you know that if you file documentation while you live in the Caribbean, when you travel to the U.S. before that documentation is completed, you have to file something called adjustment of status. And at 16, I had no idea. I didn't even know what that looked like. So that was the responsibility of my parents and my family to communicate. Um, And so because there was a breakdown there, uh, my father, who petitioned for me, was unaware that I was traveling here. And so that became a, a drawn out process of probably five years before I started asking really hard questions about, okay, well, why am I here? What am I doing? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why am I not in college anymore? And those questions just continue to reveal the breakdown in family. And that's when I learned about 
adjustment of status and that my my petition was in penalty and all of those things happened. Um, and so my petition became jeopardized because my family was not communicating with each other. Mm. Thank you so much for being so transparent because immigration, it's a very traumatic experience it's, and in the Trump years particularly. And the beauty of New York being a quote unquote sanctuary city, there's some things that you yeah. can do to move around. Um, but what were some of the challenges aside from the obvious that you couldn't get certain benefits that you had to go through before you even landed in beauty? Cause I know that's where you are, but mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that journey into even getting to where you are, because what you haven't done is you haven't told the audience yet your accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. We'll walk them through the journey and we'll do a capstone with your accomplishments. But what was that journey, you know, knowing that, okay, this is my immigration status. No, I'm in full on survival mode. What was that process getting into the beauty industry and finding your footing there? I had to go through my process of shame when you're going through something so traumatic, um, so far in, and you feel like such an outsider, there's some shame attached to it, especially when you have big goals and big dreams. Um, So I had to go through that in order to get to my, I don't give a shit what you say, what you do, what you think about me. I know I came here for something greater and I'm going to pursue it relentlessly, whatever that looks like. Um, And so the first one was uh, having to drop out of college. That was a big one for me because that's what I came here to do. I came here really educationally equipped. I came here as a scholar. Education is very important to my family and my culture. And so having to drop out of college, I felt like a failure. Right. And then I started hearing the noise in my head about what I should do. And um, one of those things that I should do, I was advised to do was to go home. There's nothing left here for you. Don't you see what's happening to your life? So I, I, I guess those things had to happen because I had to go through the process of shame in order to release. Um, and so once my daughter came into the world, she. Um, <laughs> God be knowing. That's what I'm going to say. God God knows what we need, when we need it. And um, my daughter gave me reasons to fight, to fight back. Of course, you're pregnant and you're, you're thinking about what that's going to look like, motherhood. But I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the day I came home with, from the hospital with my daughter and I was finally home. And the first thing I asked was like, oh, I was like, oh, shit, there's no nurses here to check temperature and, and make sure there's no nurses here. And then the other thing was, I have somebody else that I'm responsible for, her future. I started asking all the hard questions to her dad, maybe the shit that I should have asked before, right, before we got to that point. But I also started asking myself and my dad and my family the hard questions, like, okay, I'm, I was fine before. I was breezing through. I had no responsibilities. I still, in the back of my mind, thought my father filed for me. I'm fine. I have no responsibilities but myself. Um, so I was okay. I was working as a nanny. I was doing hair, whatever I needed to do, but I didn't feel like life was over. I was still 21. And so when my daughter came into the world at 23, 
I started asking the hard questions. I started calling up my dad um, because that relationship was also very estranged and in you know a weird place. But that's when it hit me, and I went into, I guess, survival mode. Um, and whatever needs to be done will be done. Another thing, which probably is attached to shame, is that I never wanted to marry for papers. Because you hear all the stories, you hear all the things. I just never wanted to do that. That may have been, and I still don't understand it, but that may not have worked out in my favor because I probably could have been documented 17 years ago. But I really wanted a family. A part of that was some daddy issues as well. I just wanted a family. And so when I became pregnant with my, my, my daughter's dad, we started talking about a family. And I thought, well, of course, this is it. Perfect. Right? We have this beautiful family that we started. And so we ended up getting married. And to respect people's privacy and to tell my story as truthfully as possible, um, I married my trauma. I married the trauma that I came here with. I married the trauma that I inherited here. And so the person that I thought that I was building a family with and who better to help me um, get my documentation than the person that I love and that I actually have a family with. But I think my goals and my ambition was a threat to that person. And the only thing he had against me was my documentation. And so that was used and it was used well. And I became deeper into the whole trying to dig myself out of that immigration fight because now I'm married to someone and he's not doing the things that he's supposed to do. And I don't even want that person to do those things anymore because I'm worried that he's going to sabotage me. Right. And so now my fight is to get out of the marriage. I spent years doing that because that person refused to let me go. And so, yeah, that, that extended the immigration fight for me many, many years. And so everything that I've accomplished, I tell people, it still surprises people that I've, I've been able to accomplish what I've accomplished technically undocumented, right? In the eye of the law, <laughs> in the eye of immigration law. Nelly, I'm going to say it again. Thank you for being so transparent and vulnerable to myself and the Carry On Friends audience because one, you didn't have to tell as much of the story as you told, but also I thank you for allowing us the opportunity to really see that when we see people celebrate their wins or successes, we cannot discount the struggles, the challenges that they've had to go through yeah. to experience the wins, yeah. whether it's one or two or ha however many. So thank you for sharing the journey, some of it. And now just kind of switching a little bit, we know the challenges that you've gone through. How are you able to cope through those challenges? As I'm talking to you, I hear the self-reflection and the awareness of what happened during that time and why you made certain decisions. But how were you able to go through, hang on and survive? How were you able to do that? People say that all the time. They tell me that I sound so grounded. Um, I wasn't always this grounded. Um, two principles got me here. And those are the principles that I govern my life by. 
I didn't know at the time that faith was doing it because I was in such a dark place. But faith is number one. And the second one is truth. A lot of the spaces that I was able to walk in, even before I entered the beauty industry, when I decided that nanny was not enough for me, sucking my soul, <laughs> my energy, my time, was just not the space for me. And then you can cut the racial tension with a knife and a person like me just cannot survive in that space. And so I, I had a lot of terrible experiences as a nanny. And so when I was done with that, I, I knew it wasn't that anymore. And that's usually what we're supposed to do, you know, either that or clean someone's house. And I did all of that and I was tired of that. So I started walking into office spaces and I tell this story all the time so people understand the power of faith and truth. I would walk into office spaces and I would say, look, I'm undocumented, but these are the skills that I have. This is what I can do. Give me a chance. And the response that I would get all the time was, wow, nobody says that. Everyone comes in here and lies. And not that you, you have to do what you got to do here, but it's never worked for me. Telling the truth has always, always, and being transparent has always worked for me. And so I led with that. Once I saw it working for me and how well it was working for me, I led with that. So I started getting really decent office jobs. I managed a graphic design studio. I worked with a shipping company, a locksmith company, doing managing and online um, advertising at the time when Google was a big drive for small businesses. But yeah, I did all of that before the beauty industry. And that's just because I was tired. I was tired of feeling so unworthy because I didn't have the validation of that piece of paper. Um, people ask me how I've been able to live in the, the apartments that I live in or rent them out without documentation because I showed up and I said, I don't have any, but this is what I do. I'm a mom, I nanny on the side, I'm responsible. And that's what it is. And I had people call me when I, there was a, at a time I was homeless, literally homeless, I had nowhere to go. And I remember the day that I found out that I had to leave this person's space she asked me when I told her, I'm going to see some apartments today. You, do you, are you sure I have to leave today? And she said, yes, today. And I told her I had some spaces lined up to see. And she said, who's going to rent you an apartment? You don't even have a social, right? But faith, I went out, I saw those apartments. And two of those apartments I saw, I told them, I don't have documentation. But this is the work that I do. I have a child to keep a roof over and I'm going to make sure your rent is paid. And at the end of that particular day, I had those two offers and they called me because one of them was an older Haitian woman. And she said to me, I don't know if my husband's going to go for this when he comes home, but I want to give it to you because no one comes in here and tells the truth. Everybody just wants a place to live. And, I, and, and, and that works. Right. But I just knew it would work for me. And so by the end of that day, I had two offers for an apartment. I was just about to say that worked for you for because that was your principles. Those are your guiding principles and how you navigate through life. So, of course, and, and your faith, you know, allowed those things to really work for you. And so now, again, just adding more depth to the story, you've been homeless, but your honesty in your immigration status and your ability had allowed you to find a place and um, experience success. When did things started to turn for you in terms of getting into beauty, all these 
places where your work has been seen. When did this begin to turn for you? Um, And before I get into that, I just want to say, I don't want to minimize the immigration journey for anyone by just saying, just show up and tell the truth and this is going to work. You have to know God, right? Because the immigration fight is, as I grow spiritually, I learned that it's also a spiritual fight. Um, We're wrestling against principalities and high places and systems and very unjust systems. And so I thank God. I thank God so much for my upbringing in Grenada that rooted me in faith. And like I said, I didn't know at the time. I just knew how to pray. (laughs) I know I knew how to contact God. I knew how to tap into my spiritual gifts that I didn't even know were gifts at the time. But you have to know God through this process. And once you once you tap into that, it allows you to move in a way that people sometimes look at you like I'm crazy because I got that. Like, who do you think you are? You know, but it's not who I thought I was. It's who I knew was over me. And that keeps me going. You know, you are God's child. So you you acted accordingly. Yeah, I move. I move like I, I move a little relentless and a little fearless and. I do that. I do so because I see time and time again how he shows up for me when I when I just move and I trust. And so to get to the successes, um, the beauty industry happened after I got fired from a nanny position. I was working in an office. Great job. Eventually, the partners decided to split. And that's how I ended up losing that job. But I was also um, observing my daughter and she was changing um, and that's because I wasn't as ho- at home as much because for a long time I was at home with her for about two or three years. And so I started seeing her changing and, and that really was crushing my soul. And I was just really tired of people telling me that I, I wasn't going to do nothing here. So I need to go home. Um, and so I had this skill that came naturally to me, which is doing makeup. And I decided to just try it out. It really was a means to an end. Because I knew eventually I would become a documented, go back to school, do all these amazing things in, in law. But God had other plans. Clearly, clearly, clearly had other plans. And so I just started doing makeup. Instagram had just became a thing at the time. It was about a decade ago. So I started using it. Um, I remember my very first post. <laughs> I had just done my first client that I took money from. And I just built from, built from there. Pretty much self-taught once I realized things were getting, you know, serious and I could really do this. I started taking classes, really studying um, artists who I admired and who had longevity in the industry and started learning from them. So according to your bio and what we see on the Internet, right, in addition to your work being seen, you know, on TV and publications, you have now went from self-taught, advancing your education through pros, and you yourself are now pro, and now you have your own master class that you're teaching up-and-coming makeup artists. Yes? Actually, they're not even up-and-coming. I keep telling them they're going to give me a heart attack because they're all pro artists, artists who I admire. I do a terrible job about talking about my successes. I have to get better at that. I even forget sometimes what I do. I'm so focused on what I'm doing at the time. And so these this, these master classes have been just like, again, a testament to saying yes to God and just surrendering. 
they've just been so beautiful and so soul filling. Um, like I said, they're all pro artists, um, seasoned pro artists, and they're coming from everywhere. Um, I had an artist come from Chicago and her mom came with her and I was just like, okay, God, I'm really grateful, but I know there's more to do. One of the things that you do as not only a makeup artist, but you are a content creator and you focus on beauty, not just physical beauty, as we've talked many times before, but the beauty within. Mm -hmm. And talk to us about that particular content that you focus on. By now, the audience can get a sense that this is inspired by your own journey to um, release some baggage and to work through some, some, like you said earlier, your trauma. Um, so talk to me a little bit and share with the audience the work, the content, the beauty-focused content that you create and the purpose of that and a little bit more about that platform specifically. I like to say that I, my purpose is showing Black women or helping Black women put their bags down. And as Black women, you're a Black woman, you know firsthand, we carry so much shit, so much. And I get to see in a really intimate space almost every day the stuff that women carry. Not just see it and hear it, but also feel it. Um, I can feel a woman when she walks through the door. I can feel what she's feeling. I can feel if she's going through some things. Recently, I've had numerous clients sit in my chair, women sit in my chair, um, who's either just found fibroids in their body or has just uh, underwent the surgery. And I see way too much of that. I feel way too much of that. And so, um, yeah, part of my purpose in the beauty industry is to really help Black women connect their love for beauty to their uh, spiritual and inner beauty because the stuff that we carry really do dim our lights and just who we are as black women, as portals, we carry all the stuff that the world throws at us. And then there's the familial stuff and there's the, the relationship stuff and work and career and all the things that we sacrifice ourselves, our bodies and our minds for. I just tried to help black women put that down. That's why I believe God placed me here for a reason, um, because this is where Black women really release in the beauty chair. Whether it's hairstylists or makeup artists, we grow really intimate relationships with, with our clients. And so we see a lot. In addition to what you just said, you said something earlier, like we carry a lot, you know, and you and I being born in the Caribbean as immigrants, you know, th that immigrant thing is also a lot, you know, um, that you bring. But you also said playing small. I think that's, that is something we hear people talk about a lot, but people don't really understand mm -hmm. the damage playing small does. Mm -hmm. And even if you get a sense of the damage, understand the source of the need to play small mm -hmm. because the damage is one thing. You can try to fix the damage, but if you don't identify the source of it, mm -hmm. you can't fix the damage all you want. 
and it still will continue. It'll show up. So for anyone listening, struggling with playing small, and I even think from a Caribbean perspective, and we can debate about this, a lot of us from the Caribbean, you said something, I don't talk about my successes as much. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is cultural for some people. For some people. Because we grew up here that you're not supposed to show off on people and mm-hmm. humble yourself. yourself. And exactly. And those things, when you're a child, you know, they, w- when we do it, you're not intentionally trying to not talk about your success, but it be- because it's been so programmed in mm-hmm. us from such a young age, mm-hmm. we, we just do it automatically. Right. And we're we're not aware of it until we come to an American culture where it's like, see me here, see me here, see me here. Mm-hmm. And we come from a culture was like, speak when spoken to answer when you're told, <laughs> don't be seen, you know, just just stay over there until somebody tell you. So for anyone listening who who might be struggling with playing small who might not be tooting their horns about what they've truly achieved, right? What do you have to say to someone like that to encourage them to stretch a little bit? Yeah. Because it's not going to, you and I know that's not going to be an overnight thing. That's going to be some work. Yeah. 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 It's a constant work. So I feel like when I'm talking about this, I'm also talking to myself all the time because and it is up for debate, right? Because I there was a panel that I did during the pandemic, and it was with Grenadians, uh, Grenadian professionals in the diaspora um, doing amazing things. Um, and that same thing came up, like, you know, I have a hard time talking about my successes. And it was shocking to me to hear the other Grenadians on the panel say, well, not me, ever since I came here. So I think And I got it. I understood it when they broke it down. So I think some of it, a lot of it has to do with that immigration trauma. It depends on your story. It depends on your migration story, what happens when you come here. Um, And a lot of the, the, the panelists did experience a lot of success right away, or they, they achieved what they came here to do. And so I think part of my playing small has to do with my immigration process, because although I was always in rooms where other people saw me as this big entity, I, in the back of my mind, I always remembered, well, I, I can't travel. I can't. There's so many things that I want to do with this and that, and I can't do it. You know, so there was that. And I think a lot of my playing small has to do with that. Part of my also playing small also has to do with my childhood. I did grow up in a very, very strict and rigid household where you are, don't speak if you're not spoken to. You don't even join the adults in the room when they're in conversation. Um, you don't spend too much time in the mirror looking at yourself because that's too vain. You know, you don't talk up yourself because that's not humble. So I was raised that way. And so a lot of that has to do with that. And not not just being raised that way as as, as a form of virtue, but it was attached to trauma. I was being silenced because I was being abused. And so it had nothing to do with keeping me, you know, soft and humble and all of that. It just had to do with suppression. And so with me, I find myself doing a lot of that suppressing so that I don't, I don't look too big or too show offy because also 
when I had to leave and be out on my own in, in these New York streets, you can't be out here all timid and playing small and you kind of have to fake it till you make it. And so I do think I developed a really tough skin and a kind of um, fearless, go after it kind of attitude. And so people just assume that I'm this, I'm always that way, but I still have to struggle with the playing small thing. It, it really holds you back. I would say that. And so what I try to tap into again is my faith just reminding me and just looking at what God, the trajectory of what God is doing. He did not place me here to play small. He keeps on placing me in these really big spaces with these really big, big goals and really big vision. I'm like, why are you giving this to me? It's a lot. But I know that I didn't come here to play small. So I am not going to. I'm not going yeah. to. Yeah. And my advice for anyone listening who has a challenge with, you know, owning their success or playing small. Um, it's something that I learned in corporate. You know, you if you work in an office or, you know, you have your business, whenever someone emails you or say, you know, hey, nice job. I really love that. You're not screenshot them. And I keep them in a folder in an app that I have. So, you know, I look at this and be like, yeah, I did that. You remind yourself. And over time, that helps a lot. Yeah. You know, it's also a, a neat trick when it comes review time for the end of the year. You can say, okay, this is what I accomplished. Yeah. And that helps you to really see that I'm not being arrogant. Mm -hmm. You know, people have said this, that I've helped them do this or yeah. I've helped them. So that's that's one thing that I've used. Definitely. and. Um, what I also, when I find myself being small or I, I have a hard time accepting compliments is that I, I remind myself who the giver of the gift is. And I'm here because this man ain't playing about me, right? Like he's put all this amazing things in me, all this light in me that people see, I might as well walk in it. Right. And if, if I don't feel like standing in the light, I, I always tell people, don't see me, see my work. Don't glorify me, glorify the work, right? Because the work is amazing. I could talk about it all day. I, I believe that my work is amazing, but me, I'm okay with being back here. Um, give the glory to God. Don't forget him because this is all him. All right. So we want to tell the audience something. What's the accomplishment? I know you love all the accomplishments. I know you don't want to talk about them, but what's let's pick one or two of the accomplishments that you're like, wow, this was this is really amazing. I'm grateful for all of them, but these in particular, these two stand out for me. Do you have two? I do. I have one. Mm -hmm. Um and again, it's a testament to give God the glory because ain't no way I could orchestrate this on my own. One very, very special partnership uh, was the Apple partnership in 2019. Yeah, that was right before the pandemic. It was a Black History Month partnership. Super, super proud of that. I think it was the first time my mom, <laughs> my mom called me from Grenada. Like, you know, she talks about the things that people say to her, but this time it just felt different. Because I don't even think my mom thinks I have a real job. She's just happy that I'm not hungry and I'm not homeless. <laughs> but, you know, she lives in Grenada. She doesn't understand what I do. But that was really special. Um, and it was also special because it was Black History Month. 
it was special because it fell on Grenada's Independence Day that year. But I say all that to say, I could not have orchestrated that on my own because I was, it was December 16th, my daughter's birthday. I had just finished praying and meditating. And I got up from that just feeling convicted in my spirit, but with a lot of guilt, right? Because two years prior, I had a vision to do something for my daughter because she was having a really traumatic experience. And I had the vision to create something for her that would um, eventually help other little Black girls. Um, So it was basically a wellness and healing space for little Black girls. And he gave me the vision, gave me everything. I got up that day for meditation. I called my friend who does logos. He had a logo and a website in like a week, right? Like, because the vision just came so clear. But after I did all of that, I didn't do anything else with it. And so that morning after, on her birthday, I woke up just feeling really convicted after meditation. And so I went to this cafe, shout out to Brooklyn Tea, um, a black owned tea shop on Northern Avenue. We love Brooklyn Tea. Yay! honey there's magic in there Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one of my favorite spots to just go chill out and work so that day I had I asked one of my friends to meet me there because I was just like broken up in my spirit about not doing what I'm supposed to do it's her birthday I should be able to present this to her or just we should be doing more um so we sat there we talked we had tea I was venting she was in school that day because it was a school day and I was just telling him like I'm I'm tired of myself like why am I why am I not doing the things that God asked me to do? Like, why am I playing small? Then he started asking me questions about, you know, more about the business that I created for my daughter. And we were just talking about it, telling him the vision. He said to me at that table that day, he said, you're going to do a TED Talk. I was like, on what? He was like, on, on some parenting, some parenting stuff, like some conscious parenting stuff. I was like, eh, that's TED Talk. Oh, that's big. He was like, all right. So we're sitting there and there's this woman sitting across from us. I, don't, I know you know Brooklyn Tea. So the farm table in the back, that was my favorite spot. The, I was usually there alone because I would go so early. But that day there was a woman sitting across from us. She was working on her laptop and, you know, minding her business. But then I caught her a few times, like, it looks like she was eavesdropping. I was like, well, she's minding our business. But then she butts into the conversation and revealed that she was listening to us. Long story short, the woman sitting across from us was the Apple executive who signed me for that partnership. So basically that day, everything that I said to my friend that I wanted to do with the business that I created for my daughter was everything that she was currently sitting there on her laptop going crazy looking for. Because they had this partnership that Apple was doing for Black History Month. And we were they were set to do a panel at Apple Fifth Avenue. And one of the panelists just dropped out and she needed to replace her today because today was the deadline to submit the creators for the partnership. And so she's sitting across from me and she goes, I need you. Right. And I was like, so we're looking at each other. Like we have 10 heads and he's going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's doing like that. And then it ended up that they knew each other. They had worked with each other before at Brooklyn museum and a project and they had mutual acquaintances and all of that. And when I left the cafe that day and I was like, Hey, no, that woman is not going to email me later. She did. And so on December 17th, we signed and we had an Apple partnership the day after my daughter's birthday. So I always go back to faith and listening to God. And that day, all I intended to do at that cafe was the email address I had signed. I had 
you know, signed up for the business, attached to the business, I was going to clean out the inbox because it was just filled with junk. And I was going to do something that day. And God heard my heart and he allowed something to manifest. And I had no idea it would be an Apple partnership. So before I even launched her business, we had an Apple partnership together. So that was really, really, really special for me. Oh, that's such a great story. Oh, yeah. And congratulations on that partnership and all the partnerships that you've had. So as you wrap up, what's one thing you haven't said that you'd like to leave the audience with about your work? Um, well, <laughs> I know Carrie Ann wants me to talk about the work. I've done some really amazing things. Um, some of the women that I've worked on, and if you take nothing from this, take this, especially if you're still undocumented or you know someone who's undocumented, it's still going through process. It's easier said than done. And that's why I can't leave God out of the story. You can't do that on your own. You can't walk this walk on your own. It's hard enough. Um, being undocumented just adds a weight that only God can help you put down. And so if you take nothing else from this, take that. No one can tell you what you can or cannot do without that piece of paper. Because what God has for you, baby, he don't miss your address. He knows every time you move. He knows the return addresses. He will find you and your blessings will find you. Um, just trust, especially if you believe that there's something placed in you. There's something that you're called to do. Chase it relentlessly. All the whys and the end is already figured out. And you see it when you get up and start doing. You see how he sends angels to assist you. You see how he makes a way out of nowhere. He just wants you to trust and surrender, especially when it gets to a point where you feel like, I don't know what the hell else to do. That's exactly where he needs you. Right. And so I've been able to walk into spaces that still blows my mind. I've been able to work with women that still undocumented immigrants are not supposed to do that. Right. And so um, some of the beautiful faces that I've worked on that are noted um, Chimamanda Adichie, who's a Nigerian author and philanthropist. Um, Cynthia Bailey. Um, Kadeen Ellis is one of my main girls who I love dearly. Uh, Ashley Blaine. Tarana Burke. I've worked on amazing projects like Black Ink with VH1. I've worked on uh, Our Mother's Garden. If you haven't checked out that documentary on Netflix, it's still, I believe it's still there an amazing documentary on um, Black women and Black motherhood and unlocking and telling those trauma stories and to get to healing. I think it's a beautiful documentary for every Black woman to watch. Um, so I did makeup for that. Uh, my work has been featured in Essence, BET, MTV, New York Times, Essence Magazine. Um, I've done some amazing red carpets. Just amazing things. God just keeps blessing me. Um, my most recent partnership was this Black History Month. Shout out to my ancestors because I know they have some, you know, I'm just getting all these Black History Month partnerships. <laughs> um, shout out to them for working extra hard. So my last partnership was with Family Dollar this last Black History Month. Um, so that was really special too. Anything that feels uh, purposeful, and that's how I know it's not, it 
has nothing to do with makeup because every partnership that comes, every opportunity is just so much filled with so much purpose and um, aspiration. So, yeah, I'm proud of that. Awesome. Congratulations again. And where can the audience find you on the internet? So I have one very active social platform because one is a lot to me. Um, you can find me on Instagram very actively at Hey Nelly. That's H-E-Y-N-E-L-L-I. My website is www.heynelly.com. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Nelly, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was such a great conversation and part of a lot of conversations we've had. So yeah. um Thank you again for just coming on, being vulnerable, sharing your story with us. And as I love to say at the end of every show, until next time, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.